the big idea of this text, the big idea of this series, the big idea of all that we do as Christians is to know that all of Scripture points towards Jesus. Every book of the Bible, I don't say that to be hyperbolic, I'm not saying it as a metaphor, as a simile, but that all of Scripture points towards the Messiah. Every single book. Now, if every single book in a collection of books points to the Messiah, that's probably something we should pay attention to. Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host for this show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you don't recognize the voice in that clip, uh, that's because it's the voice of Daniel Fabui. It's his first time preaching here. Uh, this was the final stage of his interview process uh, to become the new pastor, uh, teaching pastor of adult ministry here at Life Church Canton. Um, you'll be able to hear his full sermon in this episode. But first, I wanted to share with you some other news about some new staff members. Um, if you remember a few weeks back in the podcast, we had a guest speaker named Jared Van Verst. We have hired him uh, to be the associate pastor here at Life Church Canton. Uh, he's starting this Tuesday. I'm super excited about it, super excited to uh, have him start with us and, and do ministry together. So I just wanted to fill you in on those, those two things that are happening. I hope that you enjoy Daniel's message. Uh, this is week number four in our series, Story of God. Here's his message. Enjoy. Well, hello. Welcome again for those who are just joining us and for those who have come in. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so grateful because there are incredibly exciting things happening here at this church. I want you guys all to say hi to Daniel. Uh, he's uh, our Amazon delivery man, and that's what, no, <laughs> uh, Daniel and, <laughs> just kidding. They are outsourcing now, Yeah, brother. they are outsourcing, right. Uh, Daniel and Aaron, his wife uh, and child, are here, and they are visiting, and I'd love for you guys to take a chance to go meet them, because he is here as final, uh, part of his final process of becoming the teaching pastor here at Life Church, and it's been a long part, and he's finishing it up. This is his final step, and you get to be a part of it. It's pretty incredible. What I want you guys to know is that this process has been going on for close to a year, that we've been in interviews for nine months, that we've gone through two rounds of interviews, and over the six final candidates, this is the guy. And that's a lot of work. And a lot of exhaustion on our part, but on yours as well. And we have been discerning about God's calling and what he's doing in our church, and we believe that he will be part of it. And his role would be to move some things forward in adult ministries, which is incredible, but he will also be part of our teaching team with Jared and myself. So lots of things happening. It's exciting. I want you guys to know that this guy is so witty and quick. Like he is saying something before I've even finished my thought, and I'm like, man, he's funny. Like I'm a, he's a, a blessing to me, an incredible intellect, and he applies it all to this, this book. It's his passion. It's, his, uh, it's what drives him, and he's going to bring that to you and pour out what God's pouring inside of him. So I'm so grateful that you are here. I'm grateful. Um, I'd love for you guys to make him feel welcome as we've been waiting for him for a while. So you guys give him a round of applause. Get excited about what he's going to bring. Welcome. So everything he just said, now I have to prove that he's right. So, so no pressure. Uh, but even just for the self-esteem boost, brother, you have been kind to me. 
Um, so I thank you. Um, so uh, my name is Daniel, um, as um, Pastor uh, Nathan said, and Daniel Fagbui. My last name is Nigerian. Loosely translated, that means Michigan State rocks. Um, so that's the way to go. Um, <laughs> so now that I have you on my side. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that to get to know some of you through the course of this um, services and uh, things of that nature. And, and if God would have it to spend our lives getting to know each other uh, and growing together. But since this is about God, I'm going to spend the time, let's get into his word and prayerfully you'll get to get my passions and feel who I am. But let's concentrate on God together, okay? So let me just take us uh, to the throne and pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much um, for your grace. Um, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that unlike many who have come before us, we don't have to hide in caves to study your word. We don't have to hide and, and fear the bodily harm and death that could come to us for holding and reading and sharing your precious word. We thank you that we have the comfort in this United States to be able to preach, teach, and listen to the word of God in comfort. And so, Father, we don't take that lightly. And so we pray, God, that through the preaching and teaching today that we would be rocked by the beauty of Jesus and that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God to show us the Son of God so that all things will be done to the glory of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so four weeks ago, uh, Pastor Nathan initiated a series, The Story of God. Um, and he's talked about the story of God, gave you an overview of the story, the 66 books that speak about God, about the Messiah. After that, he came and shared with you the story of God, the style the literary and genres, the literary genres that are found in the scriptures, like po poetry, narrative, prose. And last week, my brother John, or Pastor John, shared with you the story of God, the covenants. And that's a hard one to, to bite into, so I'm glad he took that off my hands. Um, but this week, I'm tasked with sharing with you the story of God as it pertains to the Messiah, the main man of the scripture. The story of God, in many ways, is the story of the Messiah. And so our job, your job and mine together, is to dig into Scripture this morning to see this theme of the Messiah throughout the story of God. Does that make sense? You got to talk back to me now. I'm an old Baptist preacher. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. So the story of God, the Messiah, he is the main man of Scripture. And in order to do that, I want to sort of um, time travel back into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 47. If you're here and you don't have a Bible and you need one and don't have one at home, I've been told, and this is, should, should be okay with the 2019 budget, um, that you can have that Bible that we will provide to you and that would be our gift to you. Because there's no greater gift that we would love to give you than a copy of God's story, God's word, God's truth that will change lives. So if you have your Bible, we will be in Luke 24, verse 44 through 47. Now, as a way of giving you context, historical context behind this, this happened on Easter Sunday, the evening of Easter Sunday, uh, Resurrection Day as some would call it. The Lord lived, died, and was resurrected and shows up to talk to his disciples, to speak to them before his ascension. And so in this text, we are taken into the scene where he has spoken to them, he recalls their mind to remind them of his time and his teaching with them. Now he's beginning to tell them other things that they are now being uh, challenged in. So they, they, they even doubted the Messiah even in this situation. 
Uh, they, they had to touch his hands to see that the wounds were real. He ate with them. He made sure they understood that he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't Casper the friendly Jesus, right? And, and this is a great, what we call a great apologetic for scripture, right? Because if I was going to fake a story, I wouldn't put in there that people had doubts. Make sense? And so he comes up, he shows them who he is. He lets them know that I'm the Messiah, I'm risen, and he reminds them of his teaching and his time with them. So Jesus recalls their mind. And it's into this scene that we find now in Luke 24, uh, in Luke four, uh, 24, verse 44 through 47. Now, I was told to feel at home. And because I want to feel at home, I'll tell you what I do when I'm at home. When we read the scripture at home, we stand for the reading of God's word. So if you would be kind to stand for God's word. <clears throat> you didn't know I was going to be this much at home, did you? Luke 24, verse 44 through 47. Now he, he being Jesus, said to them, the disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Please be seated. The big idea of this text, the big idea of this series, the big idea of all that we do as Christians is to know that all of Scripture points towards Jesus. Every book of the Bible, I don't say that to be hyperbolic, I'm not saying it as a metaphor, as a simile, but that all of Scripture points towards the Messiah. Every single book. Now, if every single book in a collection of books points to the Messiah, that's probably something we should pay attention to. So we walk into this text, we see that. And as a way of hanging our thoughts this morning, I, want, I have two points that I want to pull out of this text. Two points that I'm hoping will capture the heart of this text. The first point is that all of the Bible's promises, all of God's promises are fully satisfied in the Messiah. You see that in verse 44. All of God's promises, all of the Bible's promises are fully satisfied in the Messiah. That's our first point. We'll also see in this text from verse 45 to 47 that all of God's truths, all of the Bible's truths are fully seen through the Messiah. They're fully understood, comprehended, appreciated, and appraised through the Messiah. All of God's promises are fully satisfied in the Messiah, and all of God's truths are fully seen in the Messiah. In verse 44, we see that all of God's promises are fully satisfied. He says that these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says all the things that are written, which means all the things that are written in this text, in the Bible. Now, to be sure, when Jesus was speaking at this time, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament the Jewish Bible, if you will. And it was broken up, the Jewish Bible was broken up technically into three parts. So when he says the law of Moses, he speaks of the Torah, 
the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then he speaks of the prophets. The word there is the Nevi'im. So when you look at the Hebrew Bible, it's called the Tanakh, T-N-K. And so the T is the Torah, the N is the Nevi'im, which is the Hebrew word for prophets. So all of the prophets. So, and that includes the former prophets, which would be Joshua all the way through Judges, and the prophets we all know, the latter prophets would be Isaiah, Zechariah, all of those prophets. And then the Psalms fall into this category that's called the Ketuvim, the K in the Tanakh, which means writings, things that have been written. And so the Psalms take that sort of emblem on themselves because they're the largest and the first book of all the writings. And so when Jesus says here, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, what is he saying? All of the Old Testament speaks of me. It's a beautiful way of him reminding them of the teaching that he's given them. And they don't get it yet, and we'll see that. So what we're seeing in this text is that all of the law and the prophets, all of the Psalms speaks about the Messiah, our first point. It's fully satisfied in the Messiah. Our second point, our most robust of the points, is that all of God's truths, all of God's truths, all of the Bible's truths are fully seen in the Messiah. Now, I also want to clarify, the Bible that we have now is broken up into two Testaments, right? We've got the Old and the New Testament. Now, really, the best way to say that is the First and the Second Testament. Because when you say old and new, it's as though we're saying the old one doesn't matter anymore. Right? So, so think, think of the Old Testament as the prequel, right? Everybody loves a prequel. And, and now in our culture, the prequel comes after, right? Because they didn't have the budget for it. <laughs> but God's got the budget for it. <laughs> and so we've got the Old Testament, which predicts the Messiah. 66 books altogether divided into, then we have the New Testament, which presents the Messiah, who is Jesus. He's predicted in the Old Testament. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. In the New Testament, he's here. So the Old Testament predicts him. The New Testament presents him. Every book of the Bible speaks of him. Over 300 prophecies are found in the Old and the New Testament. 150 of them have been fulfilled already. Folks, he's batting a 1,000. He is. And the 150 remaining are, are to be fulfilled at his return. Listen, if you've already been right for 150 times, I'm putting my money on you that you might be right 150 more. <laughs> I'm not a betting man, but that's, that sounds like an easy bet, folks. And so, so we have this, the fulfillment of, 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 of the Messiah. Another thing that I saw, and I don't know if you've seen this, is that not only is the theme of the Messiah peppered throughout all of Scripture, but would you know what God does? In Genesis chapter 3, what theologians like to refer to as the proto-euangelion. It's a wonderful word. It's a Greek word. It means the first gospel. See, sometimes as Christians, I think we believe that the gospel came in the New Testament. The gospel actually has been preached way back in Genesis. In 315 of Genesis, you see the seed of the woman who will redeem and restore all mankind. That's the gospel being preached. Then in Malachi, over maybe four or five thousand years later in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. So you got Genesis chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, and would you know what happens in, Gen in Malachi? The Messiah is predicted again. The Lord says, the Lord, the Messiah that you have been waiting for, will show up in his temple. Genesis 3, Malachi 3, and all in between, the Messiah. Then the opening of the New Testament, what happens? Matthew chapter 1. 
the genealogy of Jesus, saying that that Messiah that we've been talking about for all those 39 books is here now. I love it because then at the end of it, this is what we call an inclusio. It's a literary tool that shows you a reoccurring theme through a text. And now in Revelations 1, so you got Matthew 1, Revelations 1, all in between you've got the epistles. Folks, I get excited when I think about this. you got the epistles, you got all these other writers all speaking about Messiah. And as though God wants you to remember that it's not over, then you see the Messiah in Revelation chapter 1. But wait a minute. It's not a little cute baby Jesus and a baby major anymore. Heaven pulls back the curtains to show you the glorious Messiah, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and is to come. This is not a cute Jesus. I mean, you can get cute with him if you want to, but this is a grown, holy, perfect Lord of Lords. Then we get a glimpse into his godness. Yeah, his godness. It doesn't sound good coming out. It's godness. That's from the bowels, if you will. And so we get a glimpse of him throughout all the scriptures, and it's as though God gives us bookends to show that the Messiah is the main man of all of scripture. That's my amen corner right there. I love you. I love it because, too, um, as you see this theme develop, the Bible unfolds in what's called a progressive revelation. Uh, so my son is two years old. And at two years old, it probably wouldn't be wise for me to teach him calculus. Fair? Or maybe have him do our taxes. Not if we don't want to go to jail, right? But we work on him and with children on what we call progressive revelation, right? We give them enough that they can handle. And if you look at the Old Testament, all the way through, it's sort of God given a progressive revelation of who he is. They are seeing his justice. They are seeing his holiness. And now in the New Testament, we're seeing his grace, his mercy. But it's not to say that the grace and mercy didn't show up in the Old Testament. It's to say that the main thing that God was trying to get people to understand in the Old Testament is that I am God. I am glorious. I am perfect. You cannot meet my standards. You see, the law was not meant to be kept. The law was meant to make you know that you can't keep it so you can get on your knees to the only one who can keep it. Amen. It's supposed to put you in a place where you're bended and say, Lord, I cannot keep your law. Because in the Old Testament, we were saved just like we we're saved in the New Testament. It was by grace through faith alone, in God alone, to the glory of God alone. And all we've said is that in Christ, you now have a substitute. This is what they call penal substitutionary atonement, right? Penal penalty, substitutionary, he took our place and he atoned for us in what we could not do for ourselves. It is a great exchange with only one person winning, and that's us. To die on the cross for people that hated you and crucified you, folks, that's not a good deal. Sometimes I have arguments over the last pizza with my wife. I'm not Jesus. I'm the only sinner in here? Amen. You know, you, you know that's your favorite dish. You might look at your wife and spouse different like, I love you. You'll always be here, but that slice may not. Um, but I say that to say the Bible says scarcely would a man die for his enemies or for the unrighteous. But he died, he, uh, for his friends really, but he died for his enemies, those who were disconnected from him. 
It's one thing for me to take a bullet for my wife. That's my love. You see that and you say, oh, what a good man. But if I died for those who did not like me, who did not love me, that's a great exchange. And the only person that lost was Jesus in that sense. And the only person that gained was us. Because he's eternal, he rose again from the dead. So this theme continues to permeate throughout the text. And as I said, our first point was that it's fully satisfied in him. Our second point seen here in verse 45 through 47 is that it is fully seen in the Messiah, fully satisfied in the Messiah, and God's truths are fully seen. See, look with me, if you will, in verse 45. Then he opened their minds, literally mind, singular, which points towards unity of faith and unity of understanding, to understand scriptures. And then he said to them, that it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. I want to camp out and open their minds. They had been rocking with Jesus for three years. They had spent three years, 24-7, at the feet of the Messiah learning. I love this because the Word was teaching them about the Word. Come on, somebody. The Word was teaching them about the Word. Christ was unveiling himself day by day, 24 hours a day. You are getting teaching. Listen, I spent a lot of time in seminary, folks, but nothing beats sitting at the seat at the feet of Jesus to learn the mysteries of the text. And notice what happens here, because sometimes the Bible is approached as strictly academic. And sometimes you may be intimidated if you're in here and say, it's all the do's and thou's and the, he beget this one and he begot that one. And I, sometimes I don't... Yes, the Bible is complex. Yes, there is some complexity to it because we come from a different culture, so there's also that we have to do, that we have to sort of overcome the cultural differences. But what I love here is that Jesus opened their mind. In other words, he opened the scriptures, he opened their mind, he informed their mind, and then transformed their mind. I love the word here, open, because the word has to do with thoroughly opening, but even more so the word mind here is not your thoughts alone. It's not your information alone, but it's your thinking process. You see, it's easy to put information into, but it's another step to help people process that information. In other words, he helped them put the scriptures together to understand the cohesiveness of scripture, to understand how the Old and the New Testament works together. Because that was something that they could not get from just teaching alone, but he had to open their mind. You know, a little story here is my first day in Hebrew class. I was perplexed, I was confused by the fact that first, Hebrew goes from right to left. Okay, I don't think you understand what I'm saying here. You spend all your life writing from left to right. Now, some unique man that thinks he's smart comes and tells you the words of God were written in the original language, and it goes from right to left. So that was perplexing. Then Hebrew doesn't have letters. It has characters. And so all of this was so amazing, and I mean amazing in the old King James sense of amazing, like I was amazed. And I begin to wonder, one, did I make a wrong mistake? Should I have gone to accounting, like my mom said? <laughs> Should I follow my brother and become a medical doctor? Because at least they don't have to deal with languages in there. And, and then the professor said something which I thought was just amazing. Again, in the old King James sense, amazing, like you're, you're weird, sir. Um, he says, next week, so this is a Thursday class, he said, next week you guys are going to um, take a test on the Hebrew alphabet. Yes, yes, that, that's that, what you did there is exactly, well, er, 
Scooby-Doo type stuff, right? <laughs> then I said, then he said, not only are you going to take the test, you're going to pass the test, you're going to get 100. So Daniel, third person, is gifted with the ability sometimes of saying what everybody else is thinking, <laughs> but don't want to say because they want a good grade. So I raised my hand, I said, you know, and I was very honorable and respectful. I said, uh, with all due respect, Your Honor, um, <laughs> thanking Lord for you and your scholastic abilities and all the greatness that you are. Uh, with wisdom, I do approach thee. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, I, said, I said, with all due respect, Professor, I don't see that happening. And I might doubt that you might be saved because I don't think you understand. <laughs> human. I'm doubting your salvation at this point. Um, so he says, but he says something that rocked me. And I'm, I want to say this because it encouraged my soul. And I hope it encourages you if you ever struggle with being intimidated with the text. He said, you're going to learn Hebrew and you're going to do great in Hebrew. And you're going to pass that test and you're going to get 100. Okay, I appreciate the confidence. I'm not feeling it, but I appreciate the confidence. He says, because God, you, you are planning to be a teacher and a preacher of God's word. And God chose to speak to Moses in Hebrew. Moses wrote the text in Hebrew. And you desire to know God. And can I tell you, Daniel, God desires for you to know him. And so you know that God is interested in you being successful. So folks, I went home and I studied like I've never studied before. Notice what I said there. I didn't go home and wait for a spiritual divine download. Right? Like you know, somebody saying they're looking for a job, and you're like, did you put in a resume? No. Did you apply anywhere? No. So you think folks just gonna come to your house and knock on the door, anybody want a job? That's what you think's gonna happen. So I went home and I studied, and folks would all, oh, man, I, I was so amazed. I went in there and it was, like he said, I got 100 on that test. And I appreciate you clapping because, listen, we know anything when we're teaching and preaching or even you're a public speaker, you should never always be the hero of your story. And I'm not the hero of this story. I just want to be clear. But it, the inspiration of the fact that God was interested in me being successful in that. And that's what I want to say to you, that if you've ever struggled with getting into the text, maybe there's certain parts that you may find boring until you understand the fullness of what it is, please understand that God is interested in you knowing his story. And more than God interested in you knowing the story of God, he's interested in you knowing the God of the story. So understand that God is very interested in you knowing him and getting to know the beauty of what he is because the Messiah's truth, God's truth, the Bible's truth are fully seen in the Messiah. He opened their mind. He unlocked their mind to understand the scripture. After three years of studying with him, they could not get it. It wasn't until he opened their mind to understand it, what he'd been teaching them for three years. God did that. He opened their mind to show them who he is. He opened their mind to show them multiple things in the scripture. And some of the things I love that he did was he opened their minds to show them that the story of God was the story of the Messiah. He showed them also that God's goodness extended beyond one race or one tribe. He showed them that God's goodness went beyond Jerusalem to the entire world. Folks, one of the pains of Christianity is that we are so disconnected and so fragmented that we've become culturally Christians or racially Christians and we forget that God's glory goes beyond all races that he is creating a new race for himself, the people of God who look like all of us mixed up. It's a smorgasbord of Christians. That's what God's doing. 
God's calling everybody to himself. Every economic class, every social class, there is no caste system in the kingdom. God is not a tribal God. He's a God of all people. This is the image of God, folks, what we call the Imago Dei. It's all God's image. Loving and caring for each other is not a hard issue just alone. It is a second commandment as you. Do you love your brother as you love yourself? And even more than that, folks, here's the reality of it. If God made me and God made you, and you dislike me in the way that God has made me, then truly you're saying God's design is flawed. Then your issue, folk, ain't with me. It's with God. Fighting Daniel is easy. Listen, folks, I'm not as fast as I used to. You can run away from me, but no one can run from God. But not just God's discipline, but God's love. And God's love permeates the soul. You see, the Jewish folks couldn't get this. They couldn't understand how they were chosen people, but yet God chose another. But what they didn't understand is that from Genesis all the way down, God has been taking to himself the lowest and the least of us. He's been pulling the small, the weak, the insignificant to show you that significance is only found in God. Not in your job, not in your career, because only what we do in Christ will last. And so he shows them that this, 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 this vastness of God's love goes beyond Jerusalem goes beyond Israel, goes to the ends of the world. I wish I had time to break down what nations mean because you could trace that all through the text. I wish I had time to break down what the word panthethe etne that speaks not of race but ethnicity because God doesn't see race, he sees ethnicities. Oh man, I wish you were with me on that one. God doesn't see race because as far as God's concerned, there's only one race, the human race. And even in that breakdown, there's the godly race and the ungodly race. When God speaks, he speaks of ethnicities. He speaks of different cultures, and he uses all of those cultures to show you his manifold glory. The fact that he is a God of blacks, God of whites, God of whoever you are, because he's a God of people. He also showed them that the longing of the heart that they had for God was the same longing of their heart that they had for the Messiah. That the Messiah was God in human flesh. He was the word that became flesh, John 1. He is the everlasting Father, Isaiah 9. He showed them that all through our scripture, I am the face of God. Folks, this is deep in all this theology, and again, I wish we had time. And this ain't one of those things where, you know, you don't have material, and you're like, I wish we had time to cover it. No, I really wish we had time to dig into the mysteries of God, because the depths depths of the Bible cannot be fully plumbed by us. You will spend your life trying to get to the bottom of it. It's bottomless, because there's so much goodness in there. He showed them that the Messiah would suffer for our sins. He showed that the Messiah would be risen from the dead. He showed them that repentance for forgiveness would be proclaimed in his name. Even the term repentance for forgiveness, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're going to repent and then he will forgive you. It means God also gives you the heart to repent. That's even a weighty topic to deal with because what we know is that no one comes to God on their free will because we don't want what's good naturally, the scripture teaches us. We are very selfish people. I know you think you're wonderful and I think you're wonderful too. But we are very selfish people. 
We're very self-centered people. And we are not selfish and self-centered. And I'm not just saying that because we're evil people. I'm saying that we are naturally bent to care for self. We are naturally bent to care for our circle. And those are admirable things, but if they hurt other people, then they're not. Amen? So he shows them these things. And just as a way of recapping our points, right? We see that the Messiah's promise, God's promises, God's truths, all of those things are fully satisfied in the Messiah. The second point is that we saw that in verse 45 through 47, that all of God's truths, every truth of the Bible, are fully seen only through the Messiah. So you need not be afraid of the text. You need not be afraid of seeing things in the scripture. You can come to God because that same spirit that worked in the apostles, that same spirit that worked in the prophets, the spirit of Christ that kept on reminding them that the Messiah was coming, applies to us even today. That God is interested in you knowing him. And like I said, more than knowing his story, knowing the God of the story. So why this series? Why spend time talking about the story of God? Well, first, we want to encourage you to pick up the Bible, to understand the story of God, to know God's truth and God's goodness, to apply that to your life so that you can see God's plan and God's goodness. I want to encourage you in this because we know that it's hard sometimes to, to put away the noise of the world and to focus in silence on God's word. Please know that we are here to help you, that your pastors here are here to help you and walk with you in this way. So that's why the series. But even the series itself, knowing God to what end? Well, folks, here's what I'll say. Jesus is God's plan A. There is no plan B, there never was. There is no workaround, there never was. There are no alternative facts to God's story that salvation is found only in the Messiah. God's truth is that he only has one way to himself, and that way is the Messiah. There are no back doors. In fact, Jesus says it this way, only a thief comes through the back door. But if you are truly God's people, you come through the front door. And folks, I got news for you, and I know you know this, the front door is Jesus. No other doors. There's no salvation in no one else. If you would stand with me real quick. Let's say everything we talked about is not true. Let's say Jesus isn't real. Let's say the Bible isn't true. What have you lost? You would have lived a moral life. You would be an upstanding citizen. As a, as a person who follows scripture, you would be a morally upstanding human being. Folks would want to be around you. You would be contagious by God's love. That's the worst that could happen. But let's say all things that we said, all things in the scripture is true. Folks, that's, that's, that's rough. If he's the Messiah and there are no other ways, eternity is at, at, it's, eternity is at stake. You could lose, you could gain the whole world. And if the text of the scripture is true and you do all of the gaining of the world, you have a great name and people love you. And at the end of it, you've got to stand before a righteous and holy God. And he asked the question, why should I let you into my heaven? Possessive term, my heaven, because it's his heaven. And your response would be, I was a good person. That's not true. How good could you be? If we're going in degrees, what are you, 90% good? 80% good? God doesn't grade on a curve. It's 100%. It's A or fail. 
And since you can't keep his law perfectly, and I can't keep his law perfectly, he made a way. He made a way through a man named Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man took on your pains and my pains, died for our sins, and to reject that gift is to reject God himself. Perhaps you're here and you're a Christian and you are diligently seeking the Lord. I want to encourage you to continue. That it's a long game, it's not a short game. Keep pursuing him. Keep pressing in, keep pushing in. Let the people who are around you encourage you to keep pushing into the Lord. The race is not to those who begin well, but to those who finish well. Keep, keep fighting. Fight the good fight. Know that heaven is interested in your success, and success looks different for all of us, amen? Perhaps you're a Christian who's sort of fallen back. You know, in the old Baptist church, we call it a backsliding. Perhaps you backslid. We all have them. I haven't met a perfect Christian yet. The only person who was perfect was Christ. So keep pushing. Rekindle your love. My hope is that this text helps you be rocked by the beauty of Christ, to know who he is, to see him as the revelations describes him in his full glory, the omega, the alpha, the beginning and the end. Keep pressing. Perhaps you're here, you're atheist, and for you this is foolishness. Listen, I can't change your mind. Even the disciples who were his disciples needed him to open their mind. My prayer to you is that you wouldn't just be a skeptic, but that you would be intellectually honest and dig into the scriptures. And focus on anything more that I love doing is having conversations about the facts of scripture. And there's pastors here who love to do the same thing, who will sit with you, be honest and be candid to yourself because listen, eternity is at, at stake. And so you may be in those categories or somewhere in between. I want you to spend this time to either rededicate yourself or dedicate yourself for the first time. Or even ask God, if you are real, show yourself to me. Folks, all throughout the, the, the Mediterranean Sea and the, the Islamic places now, people are asking those questions and God is showing himself to them. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen, that people are being very honest and saying, I don't believe you, but help my unbelief. If you've read scripture, you know where I get that from. And that's fair to say, folks. That's super fair to say. So I'm not going to lead you in a prayer because salvation is individual. Pray and talk to God. And I'll pray for us and you continue praying. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you that your word is true, whether we believe it or not. The truthfulness of your word is not contingent upon our beliefs. But we pray, God, that you would unlock our minds to see your goodness, to see your truth, to believe, to hold fast to your truths. And Father, I pray that you would remove the speaker and let your word speak for himself and that the words of God will not go onto fallow ground. Help now, Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts, 
And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.